Hey everyone, it's Max Lamana here. And in this episode of the Clean Energy Revolution, we're finding out how the transition to cleaner energy is making a big difference to the jobs market. Both the UK and US governments are aiming to decarbonize their electricity systems by 2035. And this means big changes to our infrastructure to get these systems fit for the future. All this innovation will mean new jobs, new skills, and new opportunities to help make a difference to our world. You know, when I look back to when I first started thinking about jobs, there were some careers which seemed to not have changed for decades. But as the world moves on, so many industries are embracing new skills which didn't even exist a decade ago. At that point, who would have thought that social media, low waste, and being a chef would tie together so well, because I didn't. To get the UK to net zero, National Grid's research has found that the industry will need to recruit for 400,000 jobs by 2050. So it's no surprise that clean energy is becoming one of the big industries for employment. And that's what this episode is all about. Welcome to the clean energy revolution from National Grid. All right, let's kick things off. I'm joined by Alana Russo, Director of Strategic Engagement and Business Development at National Grid Ventures. Alana is one of the team behind a project with the potential to power over a million homes in the U.S. Northeast. I can't wait to find out more. Hi, Alana. How are you? Hi, Max. Doing very well today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining us. Um, Tell us about the Community Offshore Wind Project. Sure. So Community Offshore Wind is a joint venture between National Grid and RWE. RWE is a world leader in offshore wind, second in the world for their projects, and also a leader in renewable energy. National Grid, as you know, is a leader in subsea interconnectors. We have a a major business in the UK for that. And then here in the US, we own, operate, and build large-scale infrastructure projects focused on clean, renewable energy. Our largest project right now that we're working on is Community Offshore Wind, which is an offshore wind project here in the U.S., Our lease area is located between New York and New Jersey. It has the estimated capacity of over three gigawatts of energy, which, as you mentioned, can power over one million homes. We're really excited about this project because we think that it'll be amazing for the New York and New Jersey area to be bringing clean, renewable energy. Absolutely. And what's your role in this project What's your day-to-day look like? Yeah, so I think I have the the best job on the project. I lead an amazing (laughs) team um, on our external engagement, whether it's government relations, labor relations, community outreach, economic development, and also our communications team. So my team and I get to be out in the community, working with our stakeholders, working with community partners, and helping us transition into the clean energy future. In this episode, we're talking about the future clean energy and the industry for employment. And the the conversation of offshore has been coming up more and more recently. Why are offshore wind farms so important? Offshore wind farms are important as they add to the energy mix here in the U.S. Offshore wind has been done across the world, in the UK and in Asia uh, for generations, for over 30 years. Here in the US, it's brand new. 
we really need offshore wind to add to our grid in order to move to a clean energy future. Um, and what kind of jobs might be involved when building wind farms? There's really a ton of jobs, right? First comes to mind is those construction jobs. We're speaking with a lot of our labor unions and partners to look at different aspects, whether it be on the building and construction side, welding. We have a project that we're proposing upstate New York on a steel manufacturing hub. So onshore, there's a ton of manufacturing supply chain type roles that take place. That's what's going to prepare us to bring things offshore. And then for offshore maritime jobs. So working closely with our universities and colleges on all of the offshore wind jobs that will be taking place there. And another piece is marine conservation and environmental jobs. It's very important in projects such as these to be alert of what is happening in our environment, our sea mammals and our environmental agencies so that we're building our offshore wind project in a very sustainable, environmental friendly and conscious way. And then additionally to that, I, I think there's roles that you don't normally think of, roles like that I have or that my team has, because there's a ton of policy that goes together with offshore wind and working with stakeholders to make sure that we're educating our communities on what this project's like, the benefits that this will bring to our region, and where this offshore wind project plays an important role in the future of renewable energy. Seeing that offshore wind farms are a new thing, especially in the U.S. and uh, up where you are in the Northeast, how many new jobs do you think this will create? Offshore wind as an industry is going to create tens of thousands of jobs. For our project, particularly Community Offshore Wind, it's a three gigawatt project. We submitted a proposal to New York State for a 1.3 gigawatt project. In this project, particularly, we believe that we will create over 4,600 new jobs across the span of the project. And, and you have to think about how the project lifespan is. We will be beginning construction in the next two to three years, operation by 2030. And then the wind farm will need operation and maintenance for over 25 to 30 years. So these are roles that are going to continue. Offshore wind will be creating thousands of jobs in the future. Our, our project alone is creating close to 10,000 jobs. And, and these jobs, you know, the people that are already working some of these jobs in the industry, will they need to learn new skills to adapt to the things that are changing? Yes, there's going to be a handful of new skills as well as some really important transferable skills. In order to work offshore, you need to go through a GWO training. GWO is the Global Wind Organization, and, and they have a safety training course that is mandatory for anyone who's going to be working offshore. So across Europe and, and the world, there's plenty of individuals that have gone through GWO training. But here in the U.S., since this is such a new career, new market, we'll be bringing GWO training facilities here. We have been talking with the National Offshore Wind Training Center, which is located on Long Island in New York, that will be holding GWO training. So we look forward to partnering with them to make sure that our individuals are trained up to what they will need. 
And then as far as the transferable skills right here on Long Island, we have generation facilities and they have a lot of transferable skills to offshore wind. We have welders, we have individuals who are in the control center, we have mechanical engineers and engineers on a broad scale that can really transfer over into offshore wind. So what we did recently is we took a cohort of our national grid generation employees and brought them over to one of RWE's facility, Winty Moore in the UK, and allowed for a really great, successful conversation on what skills that the RWE employees currently have and the trainings that they have and the different types of roles that they have, and then compare to what we're already doing here in the generation business and open up those channels for transferable knowledge, open up the channels for communication so that we can make sure that our current workforce can have a continuous role in this energy transition. So I was really excited about that. We have some great photos on social media that people can check out. I'll take a look at that. Now, I'm a, I'm a great swimmer. Will, will that be a good skill to have if we're doing anything offshore? <laughs> Definitely. Um, it's actually a requirement. So one of the requirements... I bet. Yeah, is to is to be able to swim. So last summer, uh, we sponsored 100 children to learn how to swim at uh, local YMCAs in greater New York and on the YMCAs of Long Island. And the reason being is if you think about workforce development and our future workforce, these are roles that are going to be coming out in the next 30 years. The adults working on these projects aren't even born yet, possibly. So a big focus is definitely on the swimming piece and educating children and adults on how important it is because, as we mentioned, these thousands of jobs, just with our project, let alone the projects across the country, we're going to need to have a lot of good swimmers in order to enter the GWO training and any of those offshore maritime type roles and construction roles. I actually learned how to swim through the YMCA. Um, This is not an episode for the YMCA, but... So. <laughs> get get in the pool, start learning how to swim. Um, it's great that you you ran a program to help inner city children to to learn how to swim. Great skill. Yeah, I, and I agree. I also learned how to swim at the Y, and um, so I'm a huge advocate. It is definitely a life skill that is needed, but not necessarily everyone always has access to it. Um, so, just to add on that, our proposal to New York State actually includes ten million dollars towards swim lessons at YMCA's across New York State. That's something as a project we really want to stand behind. Speaking of young people, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of young people who are listening are keen to getting into the clean energy industry when they start work. I know it wasn't really a conversation for me when I was coming out of high school and into university. The conversation about the climate was happening, but it wasn't really the, the, the focus. Are you seeing more jobs appear and come up into the, the, the industry that are focused and targeted around clean energy and renewable resources? Yeah, I think it's more exciting right now than maybe when you were a child or when I was a child. I'll tell you personally, it wasn't something that I thought of at all. My background is in community relations, and I was in a leadership program where I got to visit a national grid facility, and that's what spurred my interest in energy. So I think, to me, just taking my own personal piece, 
having the access is really important. So something that we do as a project is we try to make sure that we are going to schools, like as many local schools as possible, to share what we're doing as a project. We're also partnering with a few different organizations to share information about you know, STEM careers and other opportunities, not just for our project as Community After Wind, but the industry as a whole. I know when you think of energy or utility, maybe you're thinking a control room or, or construction, but there's so many faceted abilities that you can have that can come into the clean energy movement. Um, one of the programs we have is with Kidwind. They're a really cool organization. As a team, actually, we participated in one of their exercises to build a wind turbine. It wasn't a huge wind turbine like you see <laughs> stories and stories of the ocean. It's actually amazing when you see the children. I think they're much better at it in this exercise than us. But something like that, bringing that into schools is important because it starts to get their creativity going. It starts to get their interest into what wind energy is. The partnerships like that is exciting. We're also going to be building on a partnership for individuals in Brentwood, Long Island to allow access to high school students to the National Offshore Wind Training Center to allow them to have conversations with individuals about what careers there can be, to just spur that interest in the high school age. And then another piece that we're working on is pre-apprenticeship access, allowing the segue from high school to apprenticeship, encouraging trades, um, that there's other opportunities instead of just a college or a university is, is really important to show that access. Speaking of young children, it seems that they're more engaged with climate issues. Do you think companies with green-focused jobs are seen as more attractive destinations for younger workers? Yeah, so I, I think right now climate change, climate justice, clean energy is very interesting to the youth. The youth are definitely interested in roles in this area. I, I think Something that we try to do as a company is to make sure that we're in the communities, we're in the schools, and we're working with nonprofits and organizations to share our messages and and share the roles that we have available so that they can start to think of their future careers. Talking about the future of green energy workforce, you're looking even further ahead, right? Maybe 10, 20, 30 years now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, it's important to us to look at our, our current workforce that's here so that they can transition into roles like that we'll have in our offshore wind industry. But even more importantly, look at the future workforce. So we spend a lot of time in local schools, whether elementary schools, high schools, higher education, as well as working in our communities to share information about the types of roles that are available, the types of roles that are going to be available in the future, and build within our school systems what type of trainings are going to be necessary, some access into whether it's STEM education, STEM careers, and STEM excitement. We want to get the youth excited in what roles will be available because this is a workforce that is new to the U.S. This is new to the Northeast. Alana, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Alana Russo is the Director of Strategic Engagement and Business Development at National Grid Ventures. Making the transition to clean energy means change is needed all over the world. 
but these changes won't be the same everywhere. The UK has different needs to the US, believe me, I know. But it also has a different geography and a different energy infrastructure. That also means it's going to need different jobs for the infrastructure of the future, right? Being able to generate more clean energy from sources like wind or the sun is an essential part of getting to net zero. But there's also the question of making sure our infrastructure is up for the job of getting new clean energy to our homes and businesses. And with me in the studio today, I have Joe Northwood. Joe is National Grid's head of commercial stakeholder and delivery strategy in electricity transmission. Joe, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yes. Joe, can you tell us about your job? So my my job is mainly focused on how do all of the new parts of our electricity network need to come together in England and Wales, and how do we build from concept through to commissioning all of those different parts of the network. Um, And all of the different parts of my team, whether it's the commercial element of it to make it financially viable, to make sure that it's built in the most cost-effective and efficient way, right through to how we engage with consumers and customers along the way to deliver that infrastructure, or make sure it's actually delivered. My team looks across all of that infrastructure in England and Wales to make sure that all of the clean electrons from the low-carbon energy that we need gets delivered to the consumers at the point where it's consumed in the UK. Were you always passionate about energy because you started off as an intern at National Grid and you've worked your way up. So can you just like describe your career path and why are you doing the job that you do now? So right from the earliest onset, I was really passionate about understanding how things worked. So I was always sort of science and maths focused. I went to do engineering, electrical engineering at the University of Manchester. I got really quite interested in the infrastructure and how we get electrons from where it's generated to where we consume it so that the lights come on. Um, The degree taught me a hell of a lot about how we do that. But it was when I was at university, I looked at which companies are out there helping us do that. And actually the one that sat really at the heart of doing that was National Grid. So I started an internship between every year of university. I did a placement with National Grid moving around the UK, various different parts of it, whether it was out on site working in substations or um, through to offices looking at how we were putting bits of new kit onto the network. So really covered a whole spectrum even before I got into the world of work while studying. So that was where my internship started. And then I joined the Graduate Development Programme where we do a quite a concentrated 18 months, three six-month rotations in various parts of the business. And I was focused on electricity infrastructure and how we build the new infrastructure that we need to get the energy transition away. Now, 10 years ago, it wasn't as in the spotlight, I guess, as it is today. So it was even at a stage where people really didn't know what National Grid was, what the electricity infrastructure was there for. It was always the stuff that sort of followed the motorways in the UK. It was just there. It was making it happen, but nobody really understood the importance of it. But now, as we sort of have everything that's focusing on decarbonisation, lower energy consumption for everything that we use from transport to heating to lighting. Um, energy has become the focus and now it's become a, a quite an interesting sector for people to look at, but it's always been something I've been passionate about. Before we jumped on and we started recording, we are talking mm. about passions yeah. and why we do what we do. Can you just explain a little bit about, I guess, energy and how that is transferred from um, 
from the source to to a home. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, in the in the UK, we have a really strong network in the UK where we've got to a point where it's ninety nine point six nine seven percent reliable. You know, that's that's a high level of reliability given everything that is on the network and trying to connect to it. So that infrastructure that is all around us, just sort of silently enabling that to happen, is incredibly complex and incredibly detailed in how it's put together. But actually, it was built principally in the sort of 40s and 50s. Um, and it was built to get coal-powered generation from coal mines in the UK for where that was how we were generating electricity at the time through to where it was consumed in the sort of towns and villages. So the network was built around that source of energy from coal, which was sort of black electrons, very dirty emissions, through to where it's consumed. Now, if you map that forward to where we are today, 2023, we're looking at very different technology landscape, lots of different innovation, lower cost solar panels coming from all international sources, wind turbines onshore and offshore. The network that was built to get coal plants to the consumer is now being asked to do a very different job to what it was set up to do. And what I'm passionate about is looking at how do we adapt, how do we refine, how do we evolve it? And that's why it's called the sort of energy transition. How do we transition to rather than starting again? Because that's very expensive, might not be the most economic way to do it. So how do we use what we've got? How do we add what we can make use of in the technology space and and make it towards a cleaner, greener future? And that for me... We're spoiled in the UK because of our solid starting point, but actually all of those other economies, I mean, we talked about South Africa before we started, um, they have a different level of resilience, they have a different level of security in their national infrastructure, um, and they do have points where the lights go on and off during a day, and they have to model their businesses, their lives around that, and that's a very different lifestyle. I mean, you look at where other economies are coming from, um, China, for example, that are going through a very similar transition, but at a rate that's far faster than ours. They're building a coal plant a week in China because that's where they are in their energy transition. But they will still get to the point where once they have their communities connected to the energy infrastructure, then they can focus on cleaning it up. So if we look across the globe, the UK is leading in how it can be transition into a cleaner grid but not every economy across the world is at that stage so everyone can use the UK as a as a model for how you can transition it might not be perfect it might not be the way everyone else can do it but that's what we can learn a lot from how we how we apply the transition in the UK is going to set the pathway for other economies to follow and similarly we can learn from others to do it as well we've just spoke to Alana in the U.S. about offshore wind farms and why they're so important to reaching net zero. But there's actually more involved in the energy transition than just generating more clean energy, right? Yeah, so we talked about the infrastructure and what it was built for and why it was built where it was built. I guess where we are now is the the source of energy is coming from a much cleaner place. It's from offshore wind, from from sources that are principally generated off of the UK and out in the North Sea mainly. And actually, the government have set a, uh, a very clear target of 50 gigawatts of offshore wind to be produced by 2030 in the UK. Not too dissimilar a target in the US with the community offshore wind that they're focusing on in the northeast corner. But actually, 
for our grid that was built principally for an onshore network where the generation was from coal plants, we've now got to adapt that grid to enable it to get those electrons that are generated offshore to the same point of consumption. The homes haven't moved, but the grid needs to adapt to get the electrons from a different place. So our infrastructure now needs to change to adapt for that. Joe, can you talk a little bit about the project Great Grid Upgrade? I can. So we talked about how much infrastructure needs to be built in quite a short space of time. And what we've we've called that at, at National Grid is, is the Great Grid Upgrade. Actually, our grid needs to upgrade to enable us to achieve that energy transition. The pace and the scale of that energy transition is at a level that we've not had to to do it certainly in the UK and and everyone at a global level is facing the same transition but we've called that the great grid upgrade and uh, and how we get everyone involved with making that possible and working together with the supply chain with communities to make sure that we can accelerate the pace of delivery for that critical infrastructure because everyone really wants the end point which is the the energy transition we want to have transitioned it's actually not about the midpoint of it we don't want to be in the middle of it we want to have transitioned to a low carbon energy system to have cleaner air and cleaner energy what does this actually mean for the job markets and for people at home well when i look at what we have to do in the great grid upgrade we have such a large volume of infrastructure projects so if we make it real so there are at least in England and Wales, there are 17 projects, and each of these are significant, and they they take huge amounts of people to deliver. And actually, to deliver across all of those projects, we're going to need everyone, every part of the supply chain to help us do that. So whether you're producing the assets that we have to build with, whether it's the skills to, to put the assets in the ground, whether it's new ways of working, um, to design those assets in a way that is cleaner and more standardised so that we use less of it. At really every stage of designing and developing, from idea through to delivery of these projects, we're going to need new ways of working and people in every school of job to help do that. And in order to do that, it's this isn't just about designing and developing new engineering and technical solutions. This is going to need new ways to to buy the assets. How do we buy all of these assets when every country is going through an energy transition, when everyone wants the same supply of overhead line or cable? There are skills that are involved in getting that infrastructure into reality. And that's going to need different ways of working. That's going to need different skills right from people who join from school. All of these Infrastructure projects are going to need planning permission. We're going to need consent specialists. We're going to need people who can do land and ecology surveys to make sure that the the habitats that we are building in are protected and left better than we found it. And that isn't an engineer that's going to do that. That is a specialist in environment and, and ecology that's going to help us do that. So actually, when we think about the energy transition, it isn't purely about engineering. Whilst the challenge itself is an engineering challenge and an opportunity for the UK with innovation and engineering, the way in which we're going to deliver that engineering is going to need all sorts of skills to help us get there and increasingly innovative new ways of working, but also increasingly digital. What happens if we we move away from sort of two-dimensional drawings for infrastructure and actually move to immersive headsets and visualisation to help us build this infrastructure? Can we bring communities with us on that journey as to how we're building this infrastructure if you can see it before it's even built? 
and get feedback, get input, get um, ways of working with those communities to see it as we go. And actually, we could design it, construct it, and do that all in a digital environment before a spades even hit the ground. And that's going to need a whole different skill set to what we've previously built infrastructure with today. I'm, I'm blown away. This is exciting, and it, and it feels that is where we need to get to. We need Absolutely. to start applying yeah. the, these new kind of those headsets, uh, the, the VR, right? Yeah. Headset to look and see what you may not see on on a on a piece of paper. Absolutely, and and the so the augmented reality, the AR, is the overlay of a digital software system on a physical object, and the way that we can do that, you could you could see the electrons flowing through a physical asset with the use of technology, and that's incredible. If you can then think, well, actually, what happens if we put more through this bit of kit? Can we see how its performance is impacted, its condition? Will it last as long if we use it in this way? And actually, that's where innovation, digital, and previous engineering and technology all come together. And we can't do that with the way that we've always done it. That's skills with that's software developers. That's engineers that can work alongside software engineers, um, those that can help build infrastructure in a way that's totally different to how we've done it before. It feels like the future... We're in the future. This we is are. this transition will happen at a much faster and greater rate. You're taking a deep breath. Are you nervous or are you you excited about this? Because I could hear the passion in your voice about this. I'm excited about it. I I actually think that we can't do it alone, and therefore those people that believe that they are equally passionate and excited, but feel that energy transition is for engineers only, and that that's really the call here that says. This is this is going to impact every one of us. If you've flicked a switch to put lights on today, you are going to be impacted by the energy transition at one way, shape or form. So therefore, you will have a way in which it could be improved. And that's how we need to think about it. National Grid are lucky to have you because you can hear it in your voice. You're very passionate. Now, we've mentioned that innovation is important to get our infrastructure ready for the future. The word future keeps coming mm. up. But what does that mean in relation to upgrades that you've mentioned already? So it means that the the infrastructure that we build needs to be ready for different ways of being used. Like, And we talked about how that infrastructure was built previously. This now needs to, to start moving towards where energy is generated. And actually that infrastructure that we start to build to get those wind turbines that are creating clean energy in the North Sea there's over 200 gigawatts of capacity of wind in the North Sea. To make that real, we have about 10 gigawatts of capacity in the UK today. So we have a huge amount of untapped energy that we need to go after that is clean and green if we can access it. Speaking of offshores, it's something that I'm a little bit confused about. Why is it offshore? Why is it all the way out there? What makes it better, cleaner, greener? To do it out there in the ocean. So the way in which energy is generated in the North Sea is through very predictable and very accurate wind forecasts and and a lot of wind resources that are currently untapped. And actually the turbines that you can then use to generate energy are a lot bigger. So the turbine blades can be like hundreds of meters in size, a single turbine blade. And that means that you can harness a lot more energy from a single spin of a turbine. And therefore, doing it offshore means that you need less turbines, but you can go bigger and you can generate more energy from the same amount of wind. And 
it just doesn't magically appear out there. So it, you need people out there. Absolutely. Maybe scuba divers who can go to deep all of sea floors. So, absolutely. All of that. We're a totally different form of career path that will be contributing to energy. So deep seabed surveys, um, marine ecologists, um, birds and habitat making specialists, sure that it making sure that it doesn't yeah. impact or negatively harm what's already there. Because you're putting something there that wasn't there before. You've got an opportunity to leave it better than you found it by building something. And then everyone can benefit from that. And actually the the types of skills, the jobs and and the people that are going to help us get to that point is very different to what we've used today. But actually that means the way in which we learn about energy, the way in which we teach skills. Can we centralize and build um, training academies and training centers to, to help upskill um, the UK to enable us to do that? What says the way in which we build this infrastructure has to be the same as well. If you look at the Arab Emirates and the way in which they deliver the same overhead line towers, they'll fly in precast concrete foundations by helicopter and drop them on site and deliver what we could do in about nine months in the UK from setting the concrete out on site through a helicopter in a precast concrete manufacturing facility. So there are different ways of delivering this infrastructure if you just step back and think about how other countries and different ways of delivering it could be possible. And that's what we need to think about in the UK, the most responsible way of doing that in the way that helps deliver the pace and scale of the energy transition, but bringing those communities with us. You started at National Grid as an intern. Um, how old were you when, you when you were an intern? Do you remember? It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. It was um, 2009, so I'm trying to work on the okay. spot how quickly that was. 14. Uh, no. 14 years ago. No, no, no. 14 years ago, yeah. I wasn't 14, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... And it seems that younger people are particularly engaged with climate issues. I know I was and I still am with clean energy. And, and do you think companies with green-focused jobs are seen as a more attractive destination for younger workers today? And was it for you when you started? I was less focused on the green, but more the pursuit of the purpose as to why it's building the infrastructure. And actually, the clean energy transition and being more efficient in the energy that we use is a societal opportunity. And that pursuit of the societal opportunity of having transitioned the energy system is something that I am passionate about. And I think there are a lot of people that are passionate about focusing on businesses and using business as a force for good to get to that destination. So a lot of young people are focusing their energy, rightly so, on how can they help put their shoulder into the problem and help businesses do that. And I think the challenge we have as an energy sector is helping those people see where they can fit in because it is perceived as an engineering problem um, where actually there are so many different facets of skills, jobs and, and opportunities where all types of people can help play their part in that energy transition. And we need to help communicate that and translate that. And that's a bit about what we're trying to do here today to see that you can position yourself as a key part in that transition. It feels like everyone... Every young person I meet who's in college or university or is coming out of it has some role or some, you know, a study that they're pursuing, a career that they're pursuing has some element, some focus on the climate or in, in green, sustainable 
um, focused jobs. And this is this is great to hear. I wish there was more of that conversation when I was in school. And, and me, actually. And it's why I'm doing these, because I don't think it's something that we talked about enough, certainly sort of 14, 15 years ago when I was thinking about what degree to choose. But actually now... It's how do you choose a form of education or a pathway? Um, it doesn't have to be through formal tuition now. You could start an apprenticeship now to help directly get out there and help deliver in this infrastructure. And it, all of that needs to play its part. Are you the, the wonder kid for National national Grid being the intern who's worked the, their way up? No, there are lots of others that joined <laughs> at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So we, we, we have quite a lot of... Uh, of people who we take through our graduate program. I think there's about 60 on this year's intake, really, really passionate, really energetic, and really, I'd say intellectually curious about how can they help and really challenging constructively how we can do things differently. And uh, and we need a lot more of that. So uh, certainly not left to me alone, but uh, all of those that are coming in on the graduate program will help. This is the PSA. If you're thinking about what your future looks like, visit nationalgrid.com. Absolutely. <laughs> um, we've been talking a lot about the future. We've talked about the past. Let's go a little bit further in the future, okay? When you look ahead, you specifically, Joe Northwood, look 10, 20, 30 years ahead. Do you think we have an accurate idea of the kind of jobs that might be out there? Or are we going to be seeing totally new jobs appearing? That's a great question. I think if I had a crystal ball, I would be a lot more informed to be able to answer that. But I think there are there are just so many ways that this sector is changing and the jobs are changing. I think the art of innovation, digital engineering and technology and mixing all of that with how we've always done it is going to be the way in which we move forward. But we can't we can't do that by just solving the problem with what we build, the the way we build it, the the whole ecosystem of how we build infrastructure and deliver the energy transition has to change with it. Um, all of those jobs have to start looking at things differently, how you how you pay for and finance and regulate the infrastructure differently, how you how you create government policy uh, to to encourage the right types of generation and the right type of companies to build that in the way that is in the interest of consumers. All of that will impact the jobs that we do today. So do I think the jobs will change? Absolutely, yes. Do I think the function that those jobs play will be different? It will be very similar, but a different function to get us to a different destination. We're facing a climate challenge because of human lack of intervention. Now, is this human intervention the thing that's going to get us back to the the green spaces and the, and the environment that we actually want to be a part of? So does that mean that the world of work might actually look very different? I absolutely think so, and I absolutely hope so. But... Um, until then, we need a lot of other people to help us think about how it could look different. Joe, thank you so much. And it's been great to pair into the future with you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much to Joe Northwood. Joe is National Grid's head of commercial, stakeholder, and delivery strategy in electricity transmission. And thank you so much to Alana Russo for taking part in the final episode of this series of the Clean Energy Revolution. We'll be taking a short break before coming back with season three. If you'd like to find out more about how clean and green energy is part of your world right now, you can follow National Grid on social media or visit nationalgrid.com. It's that easy. And make sure you follow or subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a thing. Bye for now. <laughs>